0: Our children may escape to children's church now. The rest of us please uh, turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we... Began this uh, wonderful chapter last week by looking at verse one, where Paul says, "I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I, I beseech you, I urge you, I exhort you, therefore, based on all the things that had been spoken before by Paul and written before in the first eleven chapters of the." great message of the good news of Christ, based upon the, the fact that uh, we have justification in Him, I urge you therefore, brethren, those who, who belong to the family of God, by the mercies of God, based on the uh, multifaceted mercies of God which are renewed every day especially that great mercy by which God reached down and touched your life and brought you to know Him by the mercies of God present or offer up your bodies not, not just yourself in some kind of generic sense but your actual bodies your physical being that you offer up to God your physical self your being as a sacrifice which is a living holy acceptable sacrifice to God as long as you are alive in that body you are to offer it up it's holy in that you set it apart for God it's sacred to God for his use however he wants to use your body and that will be well pleasing to him or acceptable to him Now, that was what we were exhorted by Paul last week here to do, to present our bodies as living sacrifices. But what is our greatest hindrance in being able to consistently do that? Well, he addresses that in verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. The greatest hindrance of being able to consistently offer up our bodies as living sacrifices to God is the influence of this present world and its, it's negative influence on us. But also the greatest help for us is in verse 2. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So verse two is actually subordinate to verse one. That is, verse two tells us how to carry out verse one. Verse one, commit, present, offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice. Verse two, here's how you do that. And so the first part of the instruction is a warning. Do not be conformed to this world well what does it mean to be conformed don't be conformed to this world the the actual word conformed is uh, schema which is where we get our english word scheme or schematic that's the greek word here schema don't don't follow the schemes of this world or if you think of a schematic it's like a a blueprint or a drawing a a plan a design don't follow the designs or the plans that this world has for you that it's trying to impose upon your life J.B. Phillips famously translated this section as don't let the world squeeze you into its mold the idea of of a mold as far as a a design or plan um, is fitting here and the world is trying to squeeze us into what it thinks is acceptable and so we may try to be cool or try to be hot But we end up with the Laodicean syndrome. We're neither cold nor hot. And uh, we're displeasing to God. If we try to follow the world's way and its pattern for our lives. The word conformed schema relates to the outward pattern of something. That which does not necessarily reflect what is inside and so it's a very fitting word to use here in in light of what Paul has said in verse 1 based upon the fact that we have received God's mercies we've been made new it's not that uh, our spirit needs to be born again or something but the outward expression of our lives needs to match who God says we are inside if we belong to him if we are his children then the outward expression how we use our bodies ought to reflect that and not what the world says it ought to look like don't be conformed to this world or be not conformed it's actually a passive imperative it's passive because it is an outside influence trying to exert pressure on us to mold us in a certain way so don't allow that to happen don't be conformed and this is an imperative so it's a command don't let that happen don't let the world conform you do not be conformed to this world um, you know in in the English language, we have uh, several different terms for our world, and we can call it a planet, we can call it earth, we can call it the world uh, we can call it a ball of dirt uh, a lot of things that we could we could term it, and so it is in greek and the particular word that Paul uses here for world is is the word eon and it really means the age not not the dirt not the planet but the the world system the age in which we live Uh, it has to do with the world's thinking the world's direction the world's influence the age of uh, our present existence and the the thought patterns of this time of this age is not directed by man though mankind thinks it is mankind humans think that they are coming up with philosophies and directions and understandings and achievements but it's not directed by man at all and we are we're given some instruction in the in the New Testament Galatians 1.4 says that Christ gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age this is not a neutral age or neutral battleground this is Christ gave himself to deliver us from this present evil age in fact uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4 says categorically that Satan is the God of this age Ephesians 6.12 For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. 1 John 5.19 tells us that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we could go on and on. This is... Age, this present evil age is directed by Satan and though man likes to think he's in control and coming up with all these philosophies and so forth it is Satan directed but Titus 2, 11, 12 gives us as believers the answers for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, because right now the age in which we live is a is a sin-cursed, death-producing, truth-denying, Satan-directed age therefore don't allow yourselves to be squeezed into the mold of this age but on the positive side be transformed by the renewing of your mind well what does it mean to be transformed well uh, like the word conformed transformed is also a passive Imperative. It's passive in that there's a, an outside force trying to exert itself upon us and in this case we are to allow it to happen, to, to be transformed. And In fact, we are commanded to allow this uh, transformation that God wants to bring about. So resist the transformation or the conformity to the world and yield yourself to the transformation that God wants to bring about so be transformed the the Greek word for transformed is metamorpho where we get metamorphosis from you know like when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly the the change that takes place and really the idea behind the word is to be changed in form so don't be changed by the the world but be changed by, by God by the renewing of your mind this particular word transformed metamorpho is only used three times in the New Testament the one time is here and then uh, the first time is in Matthew 17, the transformation of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember where, when he went up onto that mountain and he was transfigured before some of his disciples and they, they beheld him for a brief moment in his glory. He shone so brightly before them. They just fell on their, their knees before him. And what that was, was the the glory which had been concealed was allowed to shine forth for a moment to display the inner character of what was really inside. Now mankind could not stand, could not survive looking at the glory of God. And so it was only for a limited time and a limited amount that they were exposed to. But the idea is to let your, your who you are really on the inside, your inner character, to shine forth in, in your life, to, to be transformed in that way. And the, the third and last time that this word is used is 2 Corinthians 3.18. That's a, a, is an interesting uh, usage because... 2 Corinthians 3 is talking about when, when Moses saw the glory of God. Remember? And then he had to veil his face because his face was shining so bright that people couldn't stand to, to look at him. Just from that exposure to the glory. And then the chapter ends by saying that we also with unveiled face as beholding the glory of the Lord as we, we look at him in this word. We behold the glory of the Lord and we are being changed or transformed <coughs> Metamorpho into the same image from one level of glory to the next level of glory even by the spirit of the Lord. So yield yourself to this, this process. Well, how are we transformed? Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed. Here's how. By the renewing of your mind by the renewing of your mind it is a matter of the mind there's a, an old saying that in the garden of Eden Satan camped out under the tree of knowledge and he has been there ever since the idea is that that he knows that he who controls your mind controls your body that's why we're, we're not called to renew our body we're not called to renew our actions we're called to renew our minds present your body but renew your mind how are you going to be able to present your body as a living sacrifice it, the key is your mind you're a thought life because as a man thinks in his heart so he is your thoughts will guide your actions. So who's guiding your thoughts? We won't take time to look at it now, but I'd like you to just note down for your later reference a tremendous cross-reference passage to this is Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, and Colossians 3, 1 through 10. Both those passages greatly help inform what this means to have a renewed mind. In verse two we see that's the issue of our physical body. In mean, verse one we see that's an issue of our physical body. In verse two we see that the key is the mind. And the idea is that the, you are made up of immaterial and material parts. Physical and spiritual. A body and spirit. But the mind is the place where the physical being and your spiritual being meet together the mind is the place that those two come together and decide what's going to happen so the mind becomes the battleground what this is talking about is a a battle for your mind the thought patterns of this age and the world views of our time are all marked with one fatal flaw they are schizophrenic that's literally a Greek word schizophrenic schizo means divided phrenos is mind to have a divided mind and the idea behind schizophrenia is a person who cannot distinguish reality they can't tell what's real and what's not real, and things which are not real become real to them and so forth. The problem with the the modern philosophies, the worldview of our time of this age, is that they ignore half of reality, and that's the greater half. That is, they completely ignore spiritual reality. Imagine if you were trying to do mathematics and you could only do it with the odd numbers. I mean, you limited yourself only to odd numbers. You, you said, even numbers don't exist. I don't believe in them. So I'm just going to use odd numbers. Well, that would certainly be odd mathematics. In in philosophy and in our in our thought as mankind, to ignore the spiritual realm and the reality of the spiritual is, is ignoring the, the greatest truth. This material universe is passing away, it's illusionary, it's, it's uh, transient, and it's not all that it seems to be. But the spiritual world and God himself are immutable, eternal and what we will really have to answer to in the long run and so that's the the one fatal flaw of the spirit of this age and the thinking of this age I just want to give a a few examples of the, the kinds of things we encounter and there are all kinds of isms in this world Postmodernism, and all. I, I just want to pick out a few as examples and what our response can be for the battle for the mind if we are to think rightly about things. First of all, uh, we should replace secularism with the doctrine of God. The word itself, secular, uh, comes from a Latin word that means age and so it's probably the most appropriate word to think about in these terms because it's the exact equivalent of the word that Paul uses here for world or age Do not be conformed to this world the Latin equivalent of that world is uh, seculum for secular so secularism is is the, the thinking of this age uh, we could translate or understand what Paul is saying here is don 't be a secularist in your worldview. so what is secularism what What does that mean? Secularism is a worldview which considers this material existence to be all that there is or all that matters that the the things that you can touch and measure and see empirically is all that really matters and all that exists it is a purposeful separation of material from spiritual either disregarding the spiritual um, in the early days of uh what 's considered modern secularism, which started about eighteen fifty with Holyoke, um, he he just wanted to ignore anything spiritual or religious, but soon uh, there was a division in the camp, and that people thought, no, you can 't just ignore uh, spirituality it 's dangerous for people to believe superstitions and so forth and so Before long, secularism became anti-religion, not just separated from it. But its basic tenet is that the only thing that matters is matter. And that's secularism. There is no God. There There is no afterlife or other life. There is no higher authority. There's only this present Existence that we experience now the biblical answer to secularism is the doctrine of God now this doesn't mean that you fight secularism on an international scale you try to go on a campaign against it what Romans 12 2 is saying is that for you individually you as a believer that you have a renewing of your mind you are transformed by this renewing of your mind as you think rightly about God and what he has communicated to us so the chief way to combat the influence of secularism in my life is for me to try to better understand who God is that there is a God that he has spoken that he is an authority, the ultimate authority over my life and I can renew my mind day by day by focusing on how great thou art. And the, the more I focus on the greatness and glory and grandeur and majesty and the truth of who God is, the better prepared my mind is to fight off secular thinking secondly replace humanism with the doctrine of man now there is such a thing as humanitarianism that's a good thing that is where we try to bless other human beings and um, that by itself is okay but humanism is different (laughs) humanism is actually a natural byproduct or extension of secularism you see if there is no God or no higher authority then man himself becomes both the answer and the goal in humanism man himself is both the answer and the goal that is how is man going to come up with any answers where is he going to look for answers to life's deepest problems if there is no higher authority than man then he has to look to himself right he becomes then the answer well that's pretty pitiful if we are the answer <laughs> but not only is man seen as the answer he's seen as the ultimate goal what what are we living for what are we trying to do in our society well to to build up man to make life better for for man in this present existence man becomes the end all he becomes the goal in humanism humans are considered naturally good they don't need saving they are naturally good and man man is uh, responsible himself to define what is good well see that becomes very convenient doesn't it if I get to make up my own mind about what's good then I can declare myself good Uh, and that is exactly what mankind does the biblical answer to humanism is understanding what the Bible says about man the doctrine of man and when you look at what the Bible says it is both much worse and much better than humanism ever explained it's much worse because we are not by nature good we are by nature sinners we are in fact enemies of the cross enemies of god and we desperately need salvation we we need the cross we need christ crucified for us to have any hope we are in ourselves without hope and without God in this world. It's much worse, but it's also much greater than any humanist could imagine because we are then brought into the family of God, into eternal life, in, into a spiritual life that is never ending, into the promise of glory of heaven for eternity instead of man being the answer and what puny answers we could come up with God is the answer and all that he has in store for us and the glory yet to be revealed so the answer to humanism is understanding the doctrine of man in the Bible thirdly replace relativism with the doctrine of revelation relativism is that there is no absolute truth that truth in what areas it does exist is relative to the person or the situation and so what might be true for me now today may not be true for you now today we could have opposite truths and we both be right And so we should be tolerant of each other and um, because there is no higher authority, who are we to judge one another? All truth becomes subjective relative to whatever we think might be true. As you know, that has led to all kinds of Of problems in individual lives and society, it gives us no anchor and no direction. But the biblical answer to relativism is the doctrine of revelation. We are not left without truth or trying to discover truth on our own, but God has spoken. He has spoken, first of all, in general revelation by the creation of the universe and the heavens. Constantly declare the glory of God, and as Romans one, Paul pointed out, so the we are or mankind is without excuse because God has revealed Himself and, and His power in His creation. But God has also spoken through His Son, who He sent here to to be the me, the gospel message for us, and finally. Uh, he, he has spoken through his word, his written word, which he guarantees, which is truth without error. And he uses this truth to guide our lives and to give us definite, objective truth from an immutable source. So instead of being tossed about by every wind of doctrine. We, we have this anchor for our souls in Jesus Christ and the direction and the foundation of this word of God for truth. And finally we replace uh, materialism with the doctrine of redemption. See if, if there is nothing beyond what we can see and taste and touch and measure as secularism says and if there is nothing more important than man as Humanism says, and if there are no absolutes, as relativism says, then the meaning of life is restricted to what one can gain in this life in the here and now. That is known as materialism. You may have heard it expressed something like, He who dies with the most toys wins. The idea is just get everything you can in this life because that's all that there is. Who are the heroes of our day? When you look at the the news and who, who are the heroes? Those who are making millions of dollars playing basketball or football if you want to talk about something important. movie stars who are in and out of drug rehab those are our heroes and uh, we have TV shows of the lifestyles of the rich and famous because that's what life is about that's materialism and we get caught up in that when we think what it means to be successful is to have this kind of house or these kinds of clothes or this kind of a lifestyle or this kind of an income or stuff. That's materialism. It's worthless. It's garbage. It's misleading. So we replace materialism with the doctrine of redemption. Why redemption? Redemption because that gives real meaning to life that it's not just about what we can get here and now it's about having been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus uh, Ephesians 1.3 we have everything that we need for life and godliness 2 Peter 1.3 and that we have been redeemed and that no matter what we gain or lose in this life it doesn't matter because there is a life to come and we will live that life forever 10 million years from now when we look back at this time as a fleeting moment we might not even remember what stuff we had or lost the doctrine of redemption replaces the pursuit of materialism. And uh, third and finally, the, the reason for the transformation. <clears throat> and do not be conformed to this world, don't let it squeeze you into its mold but but be transformed by the renewing of your mind the constant renewing of your mind as you are into biblical truth guided by God's word the renewing of your mind here's the reason that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God it is finding god's will first of all that you may prove the idea is this is the purpose and the idea of the word prove is uh to put something to the to the test to see if it is genuine and so we want to know god's will not just guess god's will so many times people ask well how how do you know God's will and actually the Bible especially the New Testament has several very pointed significant passages on knowing God's will they're they're just not as easy as we would like and they're they're not as um, direct as we would like as far as should I buy this car or that car That you might be able to test and know that it's genuine, the will of God, that you would find His will. So don't allow the world to, by its philosophy's way of thinking, guide you, but rather yield yourself to the renewing of your mind that doctrine of God brings about. And in the process, you will be able to understand the will of God. That will is described in, by three adjectives, just as the end of verse one, <clears throat> the sacrifice is described as, by three ad- adjectives, living, holy, acceptable. Here we have the will of God being described by three adjectives, good, acceptable, and perfect. It is is the good will of God. Remember, this is what God calls good. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, good teacher, and Jesus asked him, why do you call me good? Don't you know there's only one good, and that is God. Now we may think we're pretty good or Maybe even think we're awesome. But there is only one good. And that is God. And that was Jesus' point to the rich young ruler. If you recognize I'm good, then are you recognizing I'm God? So when God says it's good, it's acceptable to him. And then that's the, the next word here confirms that. Not only good, but acceptable. It's the same word we find in verse 1 offering our body as a living sacrifice acceptable it means to be to be well pleasing that we find God's good will the will of God which is well well pleasing to him not seeking to please ourselves or to find our will or to get God to put his stamp of approval on our will but the will that is well pleasing to God in fact his perfect will that you may test and approve that which is a good and acceptable and perfect will this, this is a word that often means uh, complete and probably how we should understand it here the, the, the complete will of God probably um, in contrast to partial is knowing a little bit of God's will but our goal is to know his will completely the purpose of finding his will then is doing his will now we go back to verse 1 remember that verse 2 tells us how to do verse 1 so that By the time we get to the end of verse 2, we have the answer for how we do verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or your spiritual service of worship. And so, allowing our minds to be transformed. So that we can find the will of God is so that we can live the, work, the will of God, that we, we can carry out verse one. This is also a reversal of Romans: 128. This is a reversal of what is told to us in Romans: 128. So let's go back there. on Romans 1 some bad news The, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness who in other words try to distort truth like the wisdom of this age Verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in, in where? In their thought life. In their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened, and professing to be wise, they became fools, and so forth. Now, jump down to verse 28. And even as they did not like God, to retain God in their knowledge. Even as they did not like to do that, they chose not to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over. He, he let them go in that direction of denouncing Him. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting now the debased mind or yours may say a depraved mind is the same word in Romans twelve two the word translated prove that we might prove what the will of God is except for it is with a particle of negation that is it's made negative so it's, the depraved or debased mind really means a disapproved mind From God's point of view, that's why it's debased or depraved. God looks at their mind and says it is not fit, it is disapproved because they ignore Him, they choose not to think of Him. And so, what happens as a result of having a non approved mind, a debased mind, to do those things which are not fitting? so they have a not fit mind they, and they end up doing the things which are not fitting now if you go back to Romans 12 two, you see how God has brought about then a reversal of that instead of having an, an unapproved mind where we can't do what is fitting be transformed by the renewing of your mind so your thoughts are are right that you may prove now to to test with the idea of approving what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God so that we might not only know God's will but do it there are, are two kingdoms in this present life we, we have on, on one hand the kingdom of darkness on the other hand the kingdom of light these two kingdoms exist side by side at the same time like two dimensions that exist at the same time the kingdom of darkness of this world whose God is Satan and the kingdom of light which is eternal and Christ is the king of that existence now here's the thing we were brought out of the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light into the kingdom of the son of his love so we've been transformed spiritually from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light spiritually this is where we are all things have been made new nothing can move you nothing can take you out of the father's hand as uh, Mike read earlier so nothing's going to change that spiritual condition physically though right now we are living in this world system in this kingdom of darkness our spirits have already been renewed but the body is still when i became a believer I, this body didn't change automatically i didn't get a brand new body i'm going to get one one day but i have this old body which is decaying and um I have to live in this present world system. I can't just be a hermit out somewhere. I, I have to interact with people in life and so do you. You have jobs, you have neighbors, you have family and friends, you, you have coworkers. You You interact with people in this kingdom of darkness. And the people you interact with, whether it's at school or at work or maybe your family even, are, are telling you the wisdom of this age and when you watch TV or listen to radio or read a book or go to the movies you are being influenced by secularism and relativism and all the isms you are being bombarded by the philosophy of this age don't be conformed to the philosophy of this age, you are in a spiritual battle. It's not just what your neighbor or coworker thinks. They're thinking that because they are deluded by Satan. It's not neutral. It's a spiritual battle. You may have professors who are really wise, but they're going to hell. All that matters is what God says. Allow yourself, yield yourself to the transforming process by the renewing of your mind as you steep yourself in the word of God and trust in the spirit of God to make this truth known to you. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we admit that we have too easily followed the ways and the thinking of this world. And in fact, our own sinful desires within us want to yield to those philosophies to justify our own sin, our own lack of standing for you. But we pray that by the power and might of your Holy Spirit, that you would renew our minds that you would open up your word to us, that we would saturate ourselves with the word of truth and know the doctrine which sets us free from the foolishness of men, that we would therefore have lives lived for you, our bodies offered up to you as living sacrifices. And in all of this, God, we pray that you will be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.